friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples, the podcast that tries to take big ideas of the Christian faith and nail them in real simple terms. And today we have got one of those topics uh, that is huge uh, that I'm going to try and just tease out and, and explain in such a way that just makes sense. And it's the idea of sin. Uh, Christianity and the concept of sin in many ways, in many people's minds, kind of go together more than this idea of Christianity and God's love or God's mercy. Uh, but the question, this question of sin, has come today uh, from a guy called Matthew, who's left a little message uh, on the podcast. And he just he wrote this, I'm a Christian, but feel like the notion of sin is old and out of date. Do I need to believe in sin to be a Christian? And it's such a great question. Uh, so we're going to explore that today. Uh, this idea, the notion, and the Christian idea of sin. So here we go, let's talk about sin. And I I'd want to kind of tee us off and start off by saying uh, today... Um, the whole understanding of Christianity uh, falls on the shoulders of our understanding of, of sin. And it might be that you struggle with some of the old school ways of talking about sin. And I totally get that. I think uh, sin has had really bad PR. I was walking through Stratford uh, City, which is somewhere near where I live, and uh, I came out the tube station. As you come out the tube station, there's always a string of people stood on these boxes. You call them soap boxes, but they're stood there and they're preaching. And uh, the number of times I've walked out of that station and somebody shouts at me, you're a sinner and you're gonna hell. And I stand there and I'm going, what do I say to them? Well, actually, I'm a, I'm a vicar in the Church of England. I think I'm all right. In fact, they probably would turn around and go, yeah, and? Um, but the number of times I've had somebody point their finger at me and say, you're a sinner. And, and this word sin, in some ways, has just been hijacked by religious people to the point where we've lost what it really means to understand uh, the concept of sin. And in some ways, I want to I try and not reinvent it, but reimagine it. Uh, I want to try and give us another word that we might be able to just anchor on and think about a little bit. But ultimately, friends, the universe is created around three dynamic relationships. There's three relationships at work in the world. And these three relationships start right at the beginning in the book of Genesis. We're told uh, that God, who is a relational being, who lives in relationship himself, that this creative dynamic being creates uh, the cosmos, uh, the planet, creates all the universe, and he places uh, humankind, man and woman, on this planet called Earth. And uh, we were designed to be in relationship with God, relationship with each other and a relationship with creation and the planet and the dust that we walk on and these three dynamic relationships they were meant to be where we would get love from it's where we were meant to get life from community from uh, it was all about relationship you know heaven's strategy for our lives is relationship hell's strategy is division 
and isolation. And at the heart, what it means to be human means to have these three dynamic relationships. This first and foremost, this dynamic relationship with God, this relationship with each other and this relationship with the planet. What do I mean by dynamic? I mean, it's meant to be humming with life. It's buzzing with life. It's active. It's flourishing. And we're meant to have these three dynamic relationships, us and God, us and each other and us and creation. And the, the Christian understanding of the Genesis story is that it's a story that's meant to show us the breakdown of these three relationships. First, as Adam and Eve distrust God and they eat the fruit from the tree. It's meant to be this symbol of humanity rejecting the relationship with God. They know best. And the next relationship that's damaged is between Adam and Eve. The first thing that happens is they put on fig leaves. They pretend, um, I'm not naked. I'm, I'm going to wake up. You know, they start hiding themselves from each other. That's what the fig leaves are about clothing and hiding from each other. They're not being who they really were meant to be. So this relationship with each other uh, was broken. And then you have the relationship with the planet. You know, God says to uh, to Adam, look, your relationship with the planet has now been damaged as well. And it's going to cost you because it, you looking after the planet and looking after the earth is going to be hard graft and hard work. And so the start of the Genesis story is that God created us to be in relationship with each other. And then because Adam and Eve, they reject uh, God and in that, end up rejecting each other. And they end up rejecting the planet in, in itself as well. So these three dynamic relationships no longer uh, are dynamic. They're, they're losing life. And right at the very start of Genesis, uh, where we find the word uh, sin is really important just to get our heads around for a second. Genesis 4 uh, let's go from verse six is this. Then the Lord God said to Canaan, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? And he says, uh, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, the word there is sin, is crouching at the door and it uh, desires to have you, but you must master it. And the word that we have there for sin uh, is this incredible little word, and it's the word shatat, C-H-A-T, comma, A-T. And it's where we get the word sin from. And this word shatat, can we now just delete the word sin from, from our mouths? We're going to talk about shatat for a while, this first kind of revealing of something that is damaging these three dynamic relationships. And shatat can be translated in a whole string of different ways. And I, I love the depth of how this word can be translated or understood. So the first understanding of, of the word shatat is that shatat brings death. If something out there is humming with life and creating life, then what shatat is, is something that's prowling around to bring about death. And this understanding of death is not the separation between your soul and your physical body, but it's the separation between your soul and God. Sometimes when people think about death, what they think about is that in death you die some soul that you have, an unknown spirit or something that's inside of you, comes out of you and it will float up into the heavenly realms with wings and goes up into the heavens. You have to see this idea in cartoons, don't you? Uh, Tom and Jerry. Tom kills Jerry and then uh, this little spirit appears with wings and floats up into heaven. It's this idea for many of us that death is the separation between our physical bodies and our souls, and our souls will go up into the heavenly realms. But the idea within Shatat is the 
this uh, death, this separation between our soul and God himself. And that within the human being, our soul is connected to the life force, the, the, the very being of life, the creator of life. And that when we engage with Shatat, it kills off and separates our, our souls and the being that is God. You know, I just talked about the universe built on three relationships, us and God, us and each other, and us and creation. And that's this, this first idea, is that Shatat is this, this dynamic thing that once engaged with, severs the relationship between the spiritual self of who you are and the spiritual self of who God is. Another way of understanding uh, Shatat is this idea of blandness, that in Shatat it destroys all individuality, makes everything uniform. My only way of trying to explain this is maybe top men or top shop. Uh, you see young guys and girls, they, they go into these huge stores and get sold clothing. They, they go in uh, looking um, different. They, they, everybody is different. But once they come out of Top Manor Top Shop, they're all wearing the same clothes that have been produced by that store. And this idea that Shatat makes us uniform and makes us the same. There's nothing distinct or different. But uh, Shatat is about destroying individuality. Um, it also has this idea of it stopping somebody from seeing God's realm. It's a death of, of, of your eyes, your, the ability to see physical and spiritual. And this idea of Shatat, the Hebrew idea is that when somebody's engaged with Shatat, it destroys what they can see and no longer be able to see God's realm. They can only see the physical realm. Uh, and we're meant to live in a space where heaven and earth are colliding all the time, but we're unable to see it because we've engaged with this thing called Shatat that's out to try and separate our uh, our souls from the heavenly realms. So it's something that stops people from seeing God's realm and it undermines this um, idea, it undermines this sense of God's justice and God's kingdom in the world, where God's goodness is at work. Shatat is out to try and undermine and destroy uh, God's goodness in the world and God's activity in the world, which we call his justice. Uh, it's also, there's tons, of, uh, seriously, there's so many different ways of understanding this word. Uh, I hope you're kind of getting your head around some of the, the, the kind of imagery that's meant to be tied up with this word. Uh, another way, a rabbi once said that shatat is like a black hole that draws in love. If, if God is like a waterfall where love flows into the universe from, if God is this living waterfall, then shatat is a black hole that's sucking in love. It will not allow the existence of love uh, to be present. It's this black hole sucking in love. Someone else said that uh, Shatat, one atom of Shatat causes the destruction to the whole created order. This idea that this thing is so toxic, uh, that its toxicity will just change uh, everything around it, make everything toxic. You can't have um, even a droplet of this stuff without the whole cosmos being affected by it. It affects all aspects of our lives. It changes the way that we see the world around us and the way that we see uh, the universe itself. And there's one uh, modern rabbi, I, I love this. He said that uh, Shatat is like a cancer and it grows silently and slowly taking over bit by bit. 
Uh, it's like a cancer that's just taking over humanity. And in doing this, it's destroying the relationship between us and God, us and each other and us and creation. And once you start to see that there is something active in the world that's destroying relationships, we start to see how this is now at work. Because it's almost like there's, there's whole patterns of, of this shatat at work in the world. And it's affecting everything from what we eat, where we buy from. Uh, we, we live in a society that's based upon a, a, an economy that is there to benefit the rich and not the poor. Um, over long periods of time, this stuff has somehow seeped into society where you have levels of importance. Some people are important, some aren't, some are worth a lot and some aren't. Uh, we can see that whole structures and organisations are built upon ideas of racism and sexism, religious hatred, enforcing rhythms of poverty against other people and prejudice and discrimination. And all of these systems around us are are there and existing because of uh, shatat that's in the world destroying all relationships. And once I start understanding this, that every choice I make that is made out of something that makes me feel better, me feel more powerful, makes my ego or my pride feel better, uh, once I make a decision that I'm going to purchase something, even if I know it's ripping the other person off, I, you know, you do it um, because... This shatat is at work in us, just destroying all the relationships around us. So at the heart of the Christian understanding of sin is this idea that the very activity of evil in the world is destroying these three relationships. And we see it in the breakdown of marriage. We see it uh, when friends fall out and just can't reconcile. We see it in the way that we consume from the planet as if we're the most important generation that has ever existed. We see it when politicians say, there isn't any global warming. And you're like, are you crazy? Are you blind? Um, it's because these relationships that we have between us and the planet uh, us and God and us each other are so distorted now and so confused that it's physically, uh, almost physically impossible to, to fully pull it apart. So when people say things like, I think the concept of sin is old fashioned, I would say this, friends, the concept of the word sin is now an old fashioned term. Because it's been misused by generations to oppress other people. You know, even this phrase, you are a sinner and you're going to go to hell. When that's preached to somebody with a waving of a finger, that phrase is being used. So one individual feels more powerful than the other individual. Um, and the, the word sin has been used in such a way to push down and make people feel like fools and make people feel like idiots. Uh, it's done to uh, make one person feel uh more spiritual than, than the other. But for me, friends, I see sin at work every day. Why? Because it's just what I'm up to. Friends, I'll be honest with you, I love sinning. I absolutely love it. And if anybody says, oh, no, 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 I hate sin. It's not. Friends, we love sinning. That's why we do it. If we, if we didn't enjoy sinning, then it, it wouldn't be a problem. My issue as a recovering sinner is this. I have to recognise 
that sin has totally warped the way that I see myself, see others, see God, see creation and my part in it. It's warped me so much that it's distorted my vision so that all the things that I shouldn't do, I'm desperate to do. And all the things that I should be doing, I, I don't want to do because I'm now, my vision of myself is so distorted because of uh, shatat, sin, at active in my life friends there's a problem Romans 3 says it 323 we've all sinned we're all sinners the problem is sin has been given a bad name and when we hear the word we can't help but think about a horrid street preacher telling you that you're going to go to hell but friends I'm a sinner um I'm as bad as anybody else uh you know, the wandering eye, the slip of the tongue, the desires of the heart, the things that I think about in my head. Friends, we're messed up. We're pretty messed up. And when we come to this point where we can't even see how messed up we are, that's because sin is so at work in our lives that we can't even comprehend anything else. So there's a reality check here. And, you know, so what does what does shatat do? Shatat, it pollutes us. It po- pollutes our minds and the ways that we that we think. So Mark 7, 20 says this. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lawlessness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Lord, uh, friends, we are, we are polluted by. I live in London. I don't go a day without seeing all of that list at work in my neighbourhood. We have a massive problem at the moment with knife crime. We have a massive problem with poverty and the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. We have a massive problem with drugs and alcohol. We have a massive problem where people don't see the value of themselves because they're so lost and confused because of sin in their lives. So it pollutes us and it's powerful. John 8, 34 says this, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, anybody who sins, they're a slave to sin. I can see that in myself. Uh, it's too easy to be drawn in to the behaviour of sin. If if I don't keep myself in check, it is so easy because we're enslaved to it. Uh, and there's an issue that there's a cost and there's a penalty to this. Now, religious people would start telling you, uh, you know, lots of religious ways of explaining this. Friends, there's a penalty to sin. Every time I do it, I screw up yet more myself. I screw up my marriage, I screw up my children, I screw up my family and my friends, I I, I mess about with them, I I screw up my relationship with creation and the planet, and I'm screwing up my relationship with God. There's a penalty every time I do something uh, where I allow shatat to be at work in my life, it slowly and silently chips away at every relationship that is possible now some people can say yeah 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 but you know what i can dabble a little bit and uh nobody will ever know friends they do know because every time we do something that damages a relationship we we withdraw ourselves from them because we we don't want them to know what we've done and i I think heaven's strategy is relationship and hell's strategy is division so every time we do something that creates division in these relationships there is a cost to it there's a penalty to it and i love in romans 6 it says the penalty is this for the for the wages of sin is death 
I want to translate that. If you want to live in a house, there's a cost to living in that house. If you want to live in a property, the rental on that property is costly. And the cost of renting a life in the flat of Shatat, Sin, is costly and it'll cost you absolutely everything. There's a cost to it and it'll cost you everything. Um, so it pollutes us, it's powerful, there's, there's a penalty to it and, it, and it definitely kills and separates that relationship between us and God, us and each other and us and creation. And if we ignore it, and say, oh, you know, it'll go away. It's not going to go anywhere. I have this brilliant friend of mine, absolutely amazing friend. He told me this story once. He was dating this girl. They just started dating, and he'd invited her out. And he realised that uh, when he cooked his meal, uh, he ate from the plate. He put the pan and the plate by the uh, wash um, bowl, but never did the washing up. Never did the washing up. And then the next day he would come, he'd take out a fresh plate and a fresh pan he'd cook. And then over a period of time he realised that all the plates were on the side by the sink and all the knives and forks were by the plates and all his pans were by the plates. Uh, he had got no cooking implements, no eating implements, no plates, no knives and forks, no cups. He'd got nothing. She's coming round. So he takes, and this just sounds utterly ridiculous, but it's a true story. He takes all the knives and forks and all the plates he pulls out the drawer by the sink. He puts all the dirty plates in the drawer with the dirty knives and forks and he shuts the drawer and pretends it's not there. So he shoves all these dirty things in this drawer and walks away and the kitchen looks lovely whilst at the same time festering in that top drawer with these dirty plates. And he would take one plate out, he would wash it he would eat from it and then put it back in the drawer. And uh, his story basically goes that it went on like this for weeks until one day he opens the drawer and realises that the plates are festering with mould. Uh, it's growing. It's got a life. It's like these plates are now have a name and it's talking to him and it's festered and grown. You cannot ignore some things doesn't matter uh, how hard you try, eventually they're going to catch you out. There's a penalty that needs to be paid uh, for that thing and you can ignore it, but it's just going to keep, keep coming and incoming. And eventually these things are going to imprison you. Uh, you will be so caught up with the festering rottingness of that item in your life. This cost is now to the point where it's imprisoning you. Um, so there we go. That is the Christian uh, understanding of sin. But what is the solution? Until we know the power and cost of sin in our lives, we will never understand the amazing power of God's grace. Uh, until we really understand how messed up humanity is, we cannot understand the true glory and power of Jesus. And uh, one kind of comes with the other. Uh, it's not until you've seen true darkness can you really understand the power of light. Do you get that? Until you've really seen pitch black, you can't understand the power of the sun. And the same with Jesus. And until we've understood the depth uh, of our depravity, then only can we understand the glory of Jesus. Um, so how do we how do we move from there? Well, friends, it's quite simple. In that, all we do is confess it. Uh, we need we confess our sins to God and say, God, I want nothing of this. 
I want nothing of this in my life. And, and to the point where I want nothing of it and I want, I want to turn around and I want to go in the opposite direction. I want to run as far away from it as I possibly can. Um, and I think until we've realised that we are all on death row, that everything that we have done, uh, our greed, our gluttony, our lust, our envy, our laziness, our anger, our pride, all of this is placing us on death row. Death to our relationship with God, death to our relationship with each other, and death to our relationship with the planet. Until we understand that, we can't understand the amazingness of Jesus who says no funerals today. Jesus's death on the cross is the ultimate death penalty for the whole of humanity, God dying for his creation. And we, we can't understand the amazingness of that until we've really understood uh, the mess that we find ourselves in. So the way we deal with this is confession. God, I confess what I have done and I look in the other direction and I keep truly away. So I just want to ask you two questions just to kind of end with today, because it's quite a difficult topic as we talk about shatat and sin and, and, and how we're wrapped up in this. But we, we don't fix our eyes on the sin. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We fix our eyes on the glory of the God who looks at us and loves us no matter what. The glory of Jesus staring at us in the eyes who says, I love you. Jesus doesn't walk in a room and look at you and say, dirty sinner. Jesus walks in the room and looks at you and says, my beautiful daughter, whom I love, my beautiful son, whom I love. But we just need to ask ourselves a couple of questions. How is your life surrounded by the consequences of sin? How is it surrounded by the consequences of sin? And some of us will see that super quick and others will, will need to take a bit more time. But how is your life surrounded by the consequences of sin? And then just this second question, how am I or how are you joining in the activity of sin? What is it that you do that joins in and, and plays part and makes partnership with the work of shatat in the world, the work of sin in the world? And then from that, friends, friends I just want to encourage you, just confess it. Jesus, I want nothing of this in my life. Friends, I've, I hope you found this interesting, even though it's quite quite a dark topic, but I hope you go, yeah, I can see how this is, you can see the consequences of this and what this is in my life. So friends, if you found this episode helpful, like it, share it, subscribe to the podcast so each Monday you get the, the newest podcast. Uh, friends, my name is Chris Rogers and I've been your host. Until next time, grace and peace.